Good evening and welcome to Calvary Chapel, Richmond, and to our midweek dive into God's Word. My name is Trevor Potter. I am the ministry coordinator here, if you don't know who I am. And we're going to be continuing our discussion in the book of Colossians tonight. Russ last week opened us up to chapter 2, and we'll pick up from there and close out the chapter. And our brother Tawan will pick us up in chapter 3 next week. Um, but just in way of review, it's always good to do a quick kind of walkthrough of the things that we talked about so far. And then that'll help us kind of get into what we're looking at tonight. Pastor Tim started the series off with an overview emphasizing Christ as our beginning and how that was God's grace. Scott talked about Christ as our rescue and how we are transformed to proclaim him. Last week, Russ discussed the relationship we have with Christ and how we are, under, we are unified and abounding with him. And tonight, we will look at Christ as our liberty, and because of him, we are freed to flourish. I love how no matter the series we're talking about, or within this series, no matter the, the night, everything is centered on Christ. It's Christ's focus, and that's how our lives should be. That's how our walk should be reflective. Before we get into the Word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful that you have given us this evening, this day. Lord, we pray that you would now just empty us of ourselves. Lord, that you would forgive us of our trespasses, our sin. And pray that you would fill us afresh and anew. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Strengthen us for your will. Lord, we pray that you would give us the courage necessary to take those steps of faith, Lord, that bring you honor and glory. And I pray that you would anoint me this time, this message, and those that are hearing it. I pray, Lord, that you would remove barriers, knock down those walls, Lord, and it would be you that is heard tonight. May you be glorified in what we talk about. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So our time in the Word of God this evening is titled, Christ Our Liberty, Freed to Flourish. Now we won't be looking at each of the verses like we would normally do in a verse-by-verse teaching, but we will look at some of them in more detail. We'll read through all of them, but then look at some of them in more detail. And as we discuss these things in the context of the Scripture, let's start with the basics. John Milton who wrote Paradise Lost, penned this. He said, we live law to ourselves. Our reason is our law. Isn't this the truth? And we really have some reasons that we like to make up. Those things that we justify our actions, the things we do, believe, why we believe them, what we do with them, who we do them with, how we interact with one another, the things we say, and the list goes on. It's our law. And this is a form of legalism. But what is legalism? Legalism is defined as a system of living by the law in order to make spiritual progress and earns God's blessing. The word legalism comes from the Latin word legalis, which means law. It's defined 
by the Webster's Dictionary as strict. Sometimes you'll see the word too strict or excessive conformity to the law or to a religious or moral code. Let's pause there for a second. Moral code. That's a mouthful. And it's really an interesting subject. Years ago, in pursuing a different career path, I was in college, and I took a sociology crime and deviance class. And we had a a, kind of a large group study project that we had to work on with various people. And the project was about the various aspects of child abuse. And I'm not going to go into the detail of each arm of this project because, quite frankly, it's, it's gruesome. But the portion of the project I was looking at were the national or domestic and international cases of child abuse to the degree that they were perceived as child abuse and then those differences. And to summarize the study, which really only lasted the length of the course, so certainly not an expert in this field, but it's that people and them left to their own ways of navigating life and determining right from wrong, do not have a single matching moral code or compass in which to interact in a way that agrees with the same principles as one holds, or that is honoring to someone else above themselves. Now you have pockets within subculture that do various things similarly, But really, overall, there isn't anything that any one person can agree on. Nothing is exact. Now, it would be an interesting thesis paper, but even in a short study, there were things that jumped out, but really nothing that was earth-shattering. Because with this study, there's the nurture versus nature, um, why people interact the way they do in the environment that they grow up in compared to how they were raised, But really what it boils down to, these things, especially when you think about it in the context of people by themselves, when you pile on how people interact in different cultures, in different nations, in different traditions that they carry on, there really isn't a clear line. And so what it really boils down to is you either operate with are being filled by the Holy Spirit, or you don't. And that's really kind of the, the defining line here. And so there's another definition, and probably one that is more appropriate in the context of what we're reading about. And the definition here is a strict adherence, or the principles of a strict adherence to law or prescription especially to the letter, rather than the spirit. Now, the Pharisees and religious leaders are a great example of this. So let's read Colossians, chapter 2, 11 through 23. This really is the area that we'll be discussing tonight. We'll read the scripture, and we'll see what it says about legalism and truly what Christ freed us from and, and what he has given us. So let's read the word. It says, In him, starting in chapter 2, verse 11, In him you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, 
in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or drink, or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you out of your reward, taking delight in false humility, in worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his freshly freshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as living, though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Let's pray once again. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. We read books written by people, by men in the world, quotes by some of the things they've said, but God, your word, it's like nothing other. Nothing else changes us, transforms us, provides all that we need, and infinitely more than we know. It breaks us. It builds us up brings us to our knees, brings us to tears, but gives us hope, makes us uneasy, and fills us with your perfect peace. Thank you, Lord. We pray now, Lord, that you, your word is what is heard loud and clear. Not my voice, Lord, but what you would have said tonight. Give us your wisdom, Father. May we hear and apply these things we've discussed tonight. May you be glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, in reference to the law, let's be clear. Please don't misunderstand me. The law and is and will always be absolutely necessary. Jesus completed the law. He is a manifestation of the law. The Mosaic law was put in place to provide us guidance, instructions, barriers, to show people how to live their lives, but also shows us how much we miss the mark how often we fail, and shows us how much we need help, especially a Savior. Galatians 3.19-25 says, What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. 
For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confirmed all, confined all under sin, that the promise of faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterwards be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we were no longer under a tutor. Irenaeus, he's an early church father, he said this about the law. He said, the law, since it was laid down for those in bondage, used to instruct the soul by means of the physical objects that were of an external nature. It drew the soul as if by a bond to okay the commandments to the, so the man might learn to serve God. It followed as a matter of course that the body of slavery should be removed to which man had now become accustomed, so that man would follow God without fetters. Moreover, it was intended that the law of liberty would be extended and that the subjection of the king would be increased, so that no one who was converted would appear unworthy to him who set him free. Rather, it was intended that the piety and the obedience due to the master of the household would be equally rendered both by servants and children." I love how Spurgeon put it. He said, The law repels, the gospel attracts. The law shows the distance which there is between God and man. The gospel bridges that awful chasm which brings the sinner across it. Romans 8, 1 through 4 tells us, There is therefore no condemnation to the whom which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit." And then Matthew 7, 17 and 18 reminds us, Think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. And I love this verse because it really describes the importance of the, in greatest detail the jot referring to the smallest letter in the Hebrew language, or in the alphabet, and really it's a very small letter. It's like half the size of all the other letters. And in the tittle referring to the smallest mark of the Hebrew letter, almost as if you're dotting the I or crossing the T. So the words of the law and the ideas that the law of the words describe are very important. And so obviously the law is no small thing and shouldn't be dismissed. But the law is, however, the backbone for legalism. And legalism is really God and. It's Christ plus. And it really has become how we conduct ourselves, how we operate, even outside of our faith. In many ways, it's what drives us on a daily basis, what helps shape our plans, our goals, and we often don't even realize it, but it's 
Sadly, it's how we also decide the type of relationship that we have with God. It's what John Milton said, our reason is our law. But our law has nothing to do with God, his will, or at least very little of it. It's not about his purpose or his plan. And I didn't say his reason because God's reason is not known to us. It's not important. He never tells us, and even if he did, we wouldn't be able to understand it. But we should just obey and do according to the leading of the Spirit. But our law gets in the way. It prevents this from happening. And our law oftentimes is the reason we become disobedient to the very thing the law instructs. And so thinking about the application of these things, are there any things in our life that we've become legalistic about? Maybe you say, I have to read the Bible for an hour every single day. And if I can't read it for an hour, then I'm not going to read it at all. That's being legalistic. If you're somebody who's very set in your ways and you get up at a certain time every single morning, you brew a cup of coffee, sit down with the Word, it's great when everything is, is flowing as it normally does. What happens if something comes up in your morning that you can't do one or the other? Is your coffee sacrificed? Is your time with the Word sacrificed? And so we have to be careful here. And we can even really become legalistic about not being legalistic. Maybe we have observed something, some sort of a behavior in a brother or a sister, and that has become an irritant to us. And we start judging them. But we're not really judging them. We've said things like, or we thought things like, I'm not judging them, but well, we're, we are judging them. But remember what Romans 14 says, we, and we don't have time to read, obviously, the whole thing. But Romans 14 talks about how one person regards something differently than you do, and this can be anything, food, dress, how one should dress for church, for church you name it. But verse 10 and 11 say, but why do you judge your brother? And why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. And that, for it is written, is referring to Isaiah 45, 23. It's not our job to judge. In fact, verse 12 and 13 say, So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. So we can't judge. We have to put those things aside, ignore them. If it's a moment of discipleship and coaching, that's very different. If we see legalism in certain parts of our brothers' and sisters' lives, it's not necessarily time to break fellowship. It's a discipleship moment. It's a time to just love and pray with them. Obviously, there's things that, that happens in people's walk, and if there are doctrinal things that, where it's not okay to disagree, you know, those, those things happen. But those are also far and few between, 
in our everyday life. And the, the Word of God is very specific about these things, and so we, we know the difference. But it does make us pay attention because there might be things that we're doing that we can't be the stumbling block for our brother or sister. And so we really just need to be on the lookout for these things. But it's interesting because when you think about the interaction many times that the Pharisees had with Jesus, they got really huffy-puffy about him healing on the Sabbath, and that's what they chose to go after him for. But it just shows us many things, but it shows us really how petty we can be in our, in our day-to-day interactions. What about this? We drive into church one morning and we realize that somebody has parked in our parking spot. Or we walk into the church one morning, we look around the sanctuary, see who's there, and we realize somebody's sitting in our seat. And we think, well, we should go over and tell them that it's, it's my seat. Somebody should tell them. Somebody needs to let them know. They, they just don't know. They're, they're, they're new. It's, it's not our seat. It's God's seat. It's God's church. It's not our word. It's his word. And these things seem silly, but we can be very legalistic about even the most trivial things. And so back to the text, verse 11 we read, in whom, in him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you will also raise with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. So the law made it so every male that was Jewish had to be circumcised, and that was physically circumcised. Now this is symbolism, we know, but um, what we see here is the circumcision that was made without hands. And remember in the book of Acts, chapter 15 talks about this conflict that took place over circumcision described by Moses and how it was necessary for salvation. And it was such a conflict that Paul and Barnabas and some of the others had to go all the way to the Jerusalem council to bring it before them to have this discussion. This was legalism 101. And it was false. So how many, think about how many men are circumcised today and truly are walking with Christ. It's not the circumcision that saves us. Circumcision is normal practice for many parts of the world, and it has nothing to do with, with religion. But it makes us think how tradition, family practices, and those types of things can be very dangerous. And even if they're meant for good, they can become idealistic, and can be the very thing that holds us back from either a relationship with Christ altogether or even having a deeper one with him. So we really have to be careful of these things. But thinking about all this legalism, it's, it's sin. It's a false way of thinking. It's a false way of, of acting. It's unnecessary. It's weight. It's a burden. And it should never be. In this chapter, it talks about Christ liberated us. So let's, let's take a look at two small lists of just some of the things pre-work of what we're dealing with here. The first, we talked about legalism. And we're chained to traditions, our culture, our family practices, 
They're self-serving in a lot of ways. We can be stubborn and ignorant in these ways of thinking. It's the law and it's Christ plus. Now, stubbornness and ignorance isn't necessarily sinful or bad. Stubbornness, if we're being stubborn because we stand for God and the world views us as being stubborn, that's not a sin. Ignorance is simply the lack of knowledge. So if we haven't been told something, that's not sin. Now, it's something altogether different if we're told what we were ignorant about before, but we still choose to do something different. But that's no longer ignorance. The next list is really kind of attributes of who we are, where we were at, and the life that we were kind of living prior to the work of Christ. We we are still sinners saved by grace, but we were dead in our sin. We carried weights and burdens that we can never bear. We were full of hatred. We were full of addiction, murder. We were racist, full of rage, unforgiving. And this is just a small list. We're, we're chained to these things. And we can look at any number of things that people are going through that, that really... Are we still stuck in some of these things? In our life today, we, we are walking with Christ. If we're walking with Christ, are we still struggling in some of these areas? And if we are, we need to ask ourselves why. You know, it's easy for us to say that our relationship with Christ is a faith. But that relationship also calls us to work, to take steps of faith, to do just not legalistic types of work, not practices that give the impression of such. We know that faith without works is dead, but it's God's anointed balance. Do we try and work things out on our own before first taking them to the throne? Is our belief in Christ, is our reliance upon him situational and varying based on the most recent news topics? Do we allow our flesh that fights against the unjustness of the world allow us to influence the way we act in a way that isn't edifying to our brothers and sisters? Do we act as a light on a hill or help fill the void of darkness through our social media posts and actions where we feel like we've been violated or maybe we're misunderstood, maybe we're forcibly silenced? Are we, even in those circumstances, pointing to Jesus Or are we adding fuel to the fire? Let's all pray over these things in our life and ask God how he would like to use us. What is it that he would will for us to do or say? Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's a lot. But we should ask him, should we hit send on that social media post? Should our response be something that we think it should be, or should we have a response at all? Even if it's something where we are insulted or shamed, and then it's, we need to be obedient to whatever he leads, even when it's against our moral judgment, because as we talked about, that moral thing doesn't really matter. 
and it really depends on who you're asking. So allow God to be glorified in all of these things. Hudson Taylor said, I used to ask God to help me. Then I asked him if I might help him. I ended up asking him to do his work through me. I'm trying to do this, and I know many of you are as well, but it's hard. It's not easy. It's funny because we know that we don't bring anything to the table with Christ. We, we bring nothing other than the sin and burden that he's died on the cross for us for. But we can sure be a hindrance to his work, can't we? So we have to remember that, you know, God has us living in these days today for a reason, for a purpose, for such a time as this. We have to be pointing to Christ, regardless of how it impacts us personally. And Christ provided a way for this to happen. His finished work on the cross bridged that gap, as we said. The continued work of Christ in our lives will continue until he calls us home. So let's see, and according to the scriptures that we just read, what he did for us. How he set us freed. Freed to flourish. So this is the work of Christ. Pre-Christ, we looked at those two lists. This is the work of Christ. He circumcised without hands. He removed the sins of the flesh. He did that. We had nothing to do with that. Those sins that he removed, he buried them with him in baptism. Were raised with him through faith. Made alive together for him with him. He forgave us. He wiped out the requirements that were against us. He nailed them to the cross in our place. He disarmed the principalities and the powers. He made a public spectacle of them. And he triumphed over them in it. He did all these things. Quite the list. And this is just what we read in the first few verses where we picked up in verse 11. Think about all the other things that Christ has done for us. The work of Christ that we see flowing through our lives today. This is how he freed us. This is how we're made to flourish through him and in him and for his glory. What's scary to think about is how or why legalism is so dangerous. When you read about the very sin nature of this world and the people in it, throughout the Bible we see why the Pharisees and the Sadducees were angry with Jesus and why they wanted him dead. It was legalism. Jesus didn't conform to their idea of the law or what they turned the law into. He threatened their position and how people looked up to them. And because they didn't even try to understand the concept of grace... The cross. But look what he did for us. There's nothing legalistic about anything on that list. What he did for us, he did for us in love. And it's a love far greater than we can comprehend. What he did for everyone, not just those that, there's not a, a just a few. He did that for everyone, every person. And he did these things before we even committed the sin. 
But because he did these things, let's, let's see what it says. We look at Colossians 2.14, which is, we read through that. It says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. The law tend to turn into our death sentence because there was no way we could do the things the law had contained perfectly. It became a list of areas where we fell short. But Jesus blotted those things out. And to blot something out is to cause something to disappear or remove it as if it never existed. He nailed those things that were our sins and transgressions to the cross, effectively saying these things will no longer count against you. They never happened. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he says, For he made him, knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He took the sin that we committed, even before we committed it, and nailed it to the cross. It's absolutely amazing. And I try, over the years, I try to reserve certain words like awesome and amazing for really things that pertain to the Lord. Because we hear a lot in the world how things are amazing, that car is amazing, that, that singer is awesome, that sports player is, that play was just amazing. No, they're, they're good. They're, they're talented. But the work of Christ, that list, and the infinitely amount of other things that he did, that's amazing. That's awesome. And still looking a little bit more, Colossians 2, 15 and 16. It says, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no, one, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink, or in respect of any holy day, or of any new moon, or the Sabbath days. Spurgeon said in relation to verse 15, describing the triumph over principalities and powers, exhibiting them as his prisoners in a triumphal procession as the victorious Roman generals did when they returned from war. Those evil powers that were all too powerful for us were rendered powerless by the might of Jesus. He was victorious over them, and because he was, so were we. In responding to verse 16, Spurgeon said, Do not put yourselves under rules and regulations which God has not ordained. If you think it's right for you to abstain from certain drinks, do so. But do not act thus simply because others do. If you abstain from certain meats because they have been offered to idols, and the consequence the consciousness of others might be offended if you partook of them. Do not act thus as though it would save you. Do not make yourself subject to the judgment of other men, for Christ is your law giver and Lord. Let no man judge you in meat or drink. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 16 through 20. Jesus said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand what whatever enters the mouth goes in the stomach is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. 
For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. And if these things still hang us up, we have to take a closer look at the grace that God has given us, that Jesus gave us. But again, like we said earlier, we have to be careful because we can't also be a stumbling block. If there are certain things that people have a, have a hard time, they struggle with, like alcohol, do we want to be that stumbling block that ruins that opportunity for us to be able to witness to them because they saw us having a beer in a place, but they struggle with that? And how can you be a Christian? How can you, we don't, it's, that's a ruined opportunity to spread the, the love of Christ, and we don't want to do that. But it's not for us to hold this over somebody's head or condemn somebody, somebody because Christ overcame these things for them. It's our job to point to Christ so they know that. And they be, so they can begin to have that relationship with them. So they're no longer under that bondage. Now, this also doesn't give us the right to take advantage of God's grace. We have to be careful there. Pray and see what God would do there or what he would have you do. And then verse 20 says, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Matthew Henry said, The body of Christ is a growing body. And true believers cannot live in the fashions of the world. True wisdom is to keep close to the appointments of the gospel. An entire subjection to God, to Christ, who is the only head of his church. Self-imposed sufferings and fastings might have a show of uncommon spirituality and willingness for suffering. But this was not in any honor to God who whole tended in a wrong manner to satisfy the carnal mind by gratifying self-will, self-wisdom, self-righteousness, and contempt for others, the things being such as carry not with them so much as the show of wisdom, or so faint to show that they do not, that they do the soul no good, and provide not for the satisfying of the flesh, what the Lord has left indifferent let us regard as such, and leave others to the like freedom. And remembering the passing nature of earthly things, let us seek to glorify God in the use of them. So let's not continue in this manner, laying aside all care and concerns, all these things we do that make us feel better in the flesh, but don't really give God glory. We give God glory by being obedient and being a light As we close, we talked a lot about the pre-work of Christ, or not the pre-work, the, the, where we were before the work of Christ. And thinking about how we live in the world today, we see chaos literally unfolding around us. Hate, selfishness, ignorance, legalism, sin, and there's a lot of other words we can use to describe what we see going on. 
But we have to understand that with those things, it's all the same source. It's all sin. All comes from the same source. But there is love in all of this. There is compassion, selflessness, and salvation. We have hope, mercy, and grace. And that's because of what Christ did for us. What he freed us from, as we read tonight. And as we said, we spent a lot of time talking about these things, but it's really to remind us of what we saw, what we were, what we were involved with prior to these things, what we used to struggle with, struggle through. But Christ is our victory. We are free to flourish, growing each day in His grace, walking each day with renewed mercy, His strength, His peace, and His endurance so that we no longer have to rely on our own. We don't even have enough strength anyway, but he made the way, so let us walk in his light, and as we pray to the Father, asking for what only he is able to provide, the Spirit is our help, and sent for this very reason. Andrew Murray, in closing, said, when we pray for the Spirit's help, we will simply fall down at the Lord's feet in our weakness. There we will find the victory and power that comes from his love. Let's do that now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do fall down at your feet. Lord, we ask that you, again, forgive us where we fall short where we hang on to trivial things. Lord, never, never forget what you did for us, the sacrifice you made for us, how you freed us, Lord, from certain death, how you took the sin that we committed before we even committed it, Lord, and gave us hope, gave us peace, gave us strength, gave us everything we would need, Lord, we just pray, Lord, that you would be honored, you would be glorified, that, Lord, you would take what was said tonight and, Lord, just penetrate the hearts of those that heard it. We pray that, Lord, it was your word that was heard. Your word does the work, Lord. We pray that hearts are changed, eyes are opened, and, Lord, that lives would be drastically different. Help us, Lord, in those areas that we struggle with. We know that you've already overcome the things of this world. Just help us to hold strong and to that truth. Lord, we thank you that you've given us this opportunity to spend this time together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.